Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I want to thank my sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So here's uh, an episode for your listening enjoyment. What's happening in the hobby today, the state of the hobby? There's a battle between the hobby and the industry, between the investors and the collectors and the dealers. And there needs to be a coexistence and a cooperation because selling the hobby is an opportunity to get rich is short-sighted, maybe not even true, but selling it as a fabulous pastime where you might make money, you might make a lot of money, but along the way, you're going to meet a lot of great people. You're going to make lifelong friendships. And whether you have cards for your whole life or you buy and sell and trade more aggressive, I really want people to put the focus not just on the value, but on the value of the relationships and the value of your time. So I think you do that. I think many of the vintage collectors do that. I hope that's the case, because otherwise, the run-ups a couple of years ago are unsustainable. Now, you're a financial professional, but anybody that's lived through some different business cycles realizes there's there are cycles. And if the cycle is generally up, that's good, but that doesn't mean everything has to go up. I'm just worried about the unbridled optimism. People ought to temper some of that enthusiasm that everything isn't going to go up forever. The great thing is when something seems to be overpriced, it's kind of like a stock market. If you think one sector is overvalued, you can go to another one. There's so many sectors and they're creating new sectors, even in vintage. There's vintage publications now. Who knew? Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that battle feels like there has to be a winner. And I want the winner to be the hobby. I don't know what that looks like necessarily, who ultimately comes out on top in terms of pricing platforms and grading platforms. The culture has moved into a very adversarial culture. It's us against them. It's those guys. It's the people that think or do things differently than I do. That's a troubling thing for our country, that no you're doubt. either for or against. There are a lot of false dichotomies. There's a whole spectrum of ways to enjoy the hobby, and it doesn't have to be us against them, new cards against old cards. I think you can appreciate everything, and the true definition of tolerance is not that I agree with you. I think you're right. It's that I respect your right to have the different opinion, and I don't agree with it, but I want to hear why you think that, and I want to respect that you're not an idiot, you're not a liar, you're not evil, you just have a different perspective than I have. And that goes for politics, for religion, and collecting, or anything else that people feel strongly about. Again, the beauty of it is people feel strongly. That's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. I use that word respect a lot. People need a hobby like they want a hobby. Your hobby is your hobby. That's a problem. People let it affect them. What other people do. Wait a second. Don't. Just do your thing. Everybody, even if they're not that interested in the money as a hobbyist, would they prefer to make $1,000 on a card that they bought and sell it for 1000 bucks more? They'd obviously prefer that to buying a card and selling it for 1000 bucks less than what they paid for it. Okay, But the only sure way, which I am doing now, to avoid that is I don't buy cards for 1000 bucks. So I can't lose $1,000. But the higher the price, you have the greater chance to make more, but to lose more. If you want to play at that level, I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. It's not that we don't care about the money aspect. It's impossible not to because we're putting a lot of money in it. Whether it's buying one $1,000 card or $1,001 cards, it is still money that we are expending and we care. And so should I have sold everything and then just bought it back now? What a complete pain that would have been. Would I be able to find everything, all the time that it would have taken me to do that. And I think, oh, I'm pretty happy where I am. I don't begrudge not doing that. I don't think, oh, it shoulda, woulda, coulda, wish I would have done all these different things because the hobby is going to be here for me in 20 years, the same as it is today. 
it'd be problematic for me to rebuy, buy things that I used to have that I sold. When I started the company, I capitalized the company largely by selling a, a lot of older sets and things that I'd accumulated. Okay, so that made me not have to borrow money to start a company. No regrets about that. But rebuying those sets or those cards that I had would be awkward for me. I just don't think I could do it. Secondly, you epitomize the value buyer. So I think you have less exposure as stock market pickers looking for solid companies that may be trading at a discount to their current and future prospects. So you have less volatility because everything has some level of volatility. But people that are buying high and selling higher, buying the latest thing, that's living hard and potentially dying hard. What you showed me you bought at the National, you could have asked everybody in the room, how much did I pay for all this stuff? And I think everybody would be off by 50%. Yeah. It was harder to find deals than normal's past. It was harder, but, but it's not impossible for you because you've studied it, you've done the homework, but it's literally impossible for people that have not paid their dues because all they can do is look at eBay comps without any understanding of the historical perspective. They really can't do it, Mike. You've paid your dues for a long period of time. I have too. You have perspective. People yeah. don't have to tell you it's a good deal. It's a good deal. Yeah, and I'm also willing to walk away. The younger generation is, I want it now and not realizing the marathon nature of our hobby, that it's not a sprint. But that's not something you can teach someone. You can tell someone that to your blue in the face. They don't get it well, until no, they it, get it's, it. No, because, because they're right to some degree. Because my regrets, if I look back, of the deals I didn't make, that I didn't go one more bidding increment, they're iconic cards that I would have been greatly rewarded. It still bugs me, and yet I've got a great collection otherwise. But they're notable examples of when I didn't think, hey, I'm going to pay a little bit more for this really iconic rare card, then it would have been a good financial deal if I would have. And I yeah. didn't, and that's okay. So that's what they're thinking. They're thinking that philosophy will hold true for, for decades or into the foreseeable future. I'm not positive it does. At some point, things just can't get that much more expensive because it's, it used to be equal to a car. Now it's equal to a house. Now it's equal to a, a small island somewhere. <laughs> Are you talking eight-figure cards now? That's crazy. And they're vintage. Yeah, yeah. At least I, I, it's funny. I remember the cards I didn't buy that I wish, oh, I would have bought that versus the great deals. Oh. Big deals have been way more I regret not buying, yet I have a great collection that I love. That's all that really matters. I'm adding to it all the time. It's fun because there doesn't have to ever be an end. And people always ask me, what's your end game? I don't want one. I don't need one. If there's an end to it, that means there's a finality to it. And someday I'm not going to be here anymore. That's for sure when it will end. But until that point, I want to enjoy it. When you think of this evolution of the current market and where we are in the hobby, and you think back to long ago, you basically brought pricing of sports cards to the masses through the annuals and then the monthly magazines. What do you think about today's hobbyist and the way they price cards? It's so much more real time today. It used to be, I had to wait a month to see if the card was worth more or worth less and look in the magazine, if there was an up arrow or a down arrow. What do you think about the landscape of that today? You got this 99% of the cards that are worth 10 bucks or less. <laughs> right. 1% or less that are worth more than 10 bucks. And the magazines and some of the periodicals and, and the Beckett OPG and some of these things can handle the $10 and under cards pretty well. But nobody cares about those. Okay, It's the $10 and up or $100 and up or $1,000 and up that get a lot of the action. That's where these price movements of 10% or 20% or 50% in a short period of time, you want to be armed with the latest information. But that's a small percentage of the hobby. But the trickle-down effect suggests that if these glamour cards go for more, it's going to pull some of these under $10 cards. 
But if, if somebody went around the show and said, I've got a thousand $10 cards here, that's $10,000. What would the offer be for them? Would it even be a thousand bucks? I'm not even sure. And so they don't think of it. Whereas a $10,000 card, they're going to want 8,000 bucks. They're willing to take that. The cost of trading and all that stuff, there's a lot more friction with the cheaper cards. But my perception is I'm dealing with a dollar box and just having fun with it. And you're dealing with mostly cards that are hundreds of dollars. Okay, not thousands, although you've got some very nice cards that are now worth more. And even some of the ones you've gotten, you paid more than that. But it's the exception. And I think the mainstream of the vintage hobby are people that are walking the show, not with thousands of dollars, but with hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Because that's most of America that would be the collecting public. But the publicity and the headlines are being made. And a five-figure card is not even noteworthy. A big deal. Yeah. It's six figures or seven and now eight. Yeah, I think there's a perception that I have all these super high dollar cards. And the reality is the beast back here is filled with plenty of $50 bills. And I love picking that stuff up as much as I love buying a Satchel Page 49 Bowman. I really do because I'm adding a new card to what I'm trying to do and what my focus is and what I enjoy. So there's a lot more of the $20 and $50 bills in the beast than there are comma cards. Every time someone comes here, non-hobbyists, all the questions I get are about value. How much is that worth? They don't understand, nor do I expect them to, where each card fits in the history of the hobby or, or why is it important to me or where does it fit in this craziness of a card room or an entire collection. And that's okay. I know where I want to be on a card. I want to buy it. If I can't, I'll just keep walking and there will be another one somewhere down the road. Like I said, you've got the knowledge, plus you're able to disconnect from buying the card, not the holder. You want the holder because you've got your PSA registry. So the grade to value relationship is not captured in a number always. By doing that, the That's data true. accumulators Disconnect. don't like that because you're paying more for a three than you would for a four. If they're doing it algorithmically, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, but the three, it's a better uh, looking card. I'm with you. I'm with right. you. But there are other people that buy the holder just for the numerical grade, and yeah. that's okay, too. I know, uh, but they can't not do that, Mike, because they haven't been to school. When they go to sell, they may find out it's more than just the holder. About your style now, when I see what shows, I basically go to the dollar boxes and look for where you're parked. There's a lot of people out there that love that style of collecting. What are you particularly looking for? I sold the company in 2005. And I'm pretty retired from day-to-day -day pricing in late 96 after my heart attack. Basically, the stuff in the dollar box pretty much is 96 to the present. So I'm getting an education to see what's there. Every show I go to, I see cards I've never seen before. There's too many for me to know them all. And I know a lot. I've seen a lot. But if it's cards in the 50s, I've already had them all. I don't need to be completing another set. So I'm exploring. It's an Easter egg hunt. I'm panning for gold. Little tiny nuggets. But I'm enjoying that. Seeing stuff I don't normally see. Something might be the tougher variation. I still am dealing with a long tail. And I don't care if they're chrome or shiny. In fact, a lot of stuff, if it's too shiny or too chromey, I pass on by. Because the more recent, super shiny stuff, maybe there's an additional category. It's blinding. But if it's a little bit older to where, I think that's interesting. Like I say, the tougher parallels, you can't just go by the serial number. There's some that have a high number but that are tough and some that have a low number that are easy. So I'm learning that. I'm a price guide guy at heart. That's part of my DNA, I think. I could do a price guide now for the dollar boxes. I know what's in there. Geno Smith ever gets whatever, the ability to win games. He's all over the dollar boxes and he's resurrecting. He's getting a second, third or fourth or fifth chance. That's the kind of stuff that's in there. I'm not gonna pick up base cards. I picked up Matthew Stafford's two years ago, just because I thought that'd be good for trade material from around here. And now he's a Super Bowl winner. And surefire Hall of Famer in my Yeah, opinion. that's his ticket. 
Give me some examples of some cards you found in dollar boxes recently. I can't believe this is in a dollar box. It's not that exotic. If it was that great, Mike, everybody would be doing it. I'm not finding $100 cards. I'm finding 5 and $10 cards, and I've got to be content with that. I'm not greedy. Probably for me, not slugging percentage, but batting percentage and on-base percentage. I'm trying to get singles and doubles. If I were looking for home runs, it wouldn't be as much fun. I want to go home with a nice stack of cards that I can have fun processing. When I get home, I'll evaluate. How did I do? Well, I picked out some stuff that I thought would be good, and it wasn't. Now, if it's Rangers or Stars or Cowboys or Mavericks, I can't lose because I'll just stash them away in my player collections and be ready for guests that come over that like the local teams. The stuff that you don't stash away, do you actively resell that? And what platforms do you use to do that? I'm now selling on eBay this year, but my first cut is Comp C, the mid-price stuff. And they do all the work. I don't want to ship one card at a time so I can give them a bunch of cards. Some of the other players that I can lot together, I'll put on eBay. Then the stuff below that, I'll either keep here or I give them to Rich for his synagogue show or whatever. Every card has a place. I've been enjoying eBay. I've figured out a way to do it. It's less hassle for me. They keep it simple because otherwise I got to get employees. I'm getting cards I don't want that still have value, but not extraordinary value. If I go to the dollar boxes, I'm literally buying every card I've never seen before. Okay. Makes sense. Regardless of who the player is.